A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Today's episode is sponsored by my Lit Daily Online Yoga Classes. This is an exclusive pass into my personal practice and program that I created from experience as a physical therapist and 20 years developing my Lit Yoga methodology. There is a different class with me every day, including special monthly live streams, so you can feel your most lit up anytime and anywhere. Get a three-day free trial today by going to movementbylara.com and clicking daily classes. Let's get moving. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a Movement by Lara podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through safer and smarter movement patterns, so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today is a Wednesday Q&A, and I have a lot of questions. I'm not going to be able to get through them at all. Um, I like to actually, I might change this strategy, but I like to kind of bring them on and then just look at them and answer the questions as I go, so I, it, that way it's a very authentic response. So all of these I have not looked at. I just have screenshotted and I won't be able to get to them all, but I'm just kind of randomly picking some. So the first random thing I have um, have picked today is from S. Perrine. And her question is, in Dolphin, I have to interlace my fingers and can't get my forearms parallel flat. What can I work on? So if you're familiar with my classes on a lit daily, which if you're not, get on over there, movementbylaura.com and try them out. We do dolphin every single class. I start this with everybody. I have all levels, all ages, all um, just everyone. And the reason being is it's such a great all bang for your buck posture because it gets the inversion element, meaning you're getting your uh, head your heart lower than your hips and your head lower than your heart. Uh, you are getting such feedback from the floor into the shoulder girdle. You're getting an entire great opening for the back fascial line. But it's challenging because it requires your back fascia line, uh, meaning your hamstrings, the plantar fascia, all the way up into the thoracodorsal fascia, which is your back fascia, the, the connective tissue there, all of that to be open enough such that you can form like a triangle with your body, with the pelvis at the peak, and that your shoulders have both enough mobility, openness, and stability and strength to hold you in that position. 
And so some this, as Perrine is asking, and it by interlacing the fingers, you can get a little more oomph. You can get more shoulder integration than you can with your palms down. Um, integrating the shoulders with a slight amount of external rotation, usually with the fingers interlaced, it just gives, provides some extra oomph to get the head off the floor and dolphin. And some people don't have the shoulder range of motion to keep the palms down without them sliding in toward each other, which um, that, that's just indicative that the shoulder range of motion might be there, but the shoulder in, like integrative strength is not yet there. So if you have your fingers interlaced, like she's talking about, but can't get your forearms parallel uh, flat, then that just, again, is probably a combination of both shoulder opening mobility in the shoulder joint complex and stability within, and that's often scapula stabilizers. So the thing you can do, which I know this sounds really annoying, but you just keep doing dolphin. And I've had so many people over the years who just do it and in day in and day out, they actually don't like it. They don't tell me they don't like it, but I know they're giving me a stink eye. And then all of a sudden, time goes by. And what I mean by time goes, it could be six months, it could be a year, it could be a year and a half, whatever. And they say, oh my gosh, this is my, this is now my favorite pose. Now I understand why you do it all the time. So if you're starting off and you are, this is more effort for you. This is more like you're not feeling the spaciousness in the shoulder know that the best way to get that space and opening is to continue to do it. Press into your forearms, press down. So the thing I would do is make sure that the elbows are in a narrow position as you interlace the fingers. So if you're not familiar with dolphin, what it looks like is you're on your knees, your hands are, um, forearms are down on the floor, and then you bring your hands together, kind of like you're in a prayer position, interlace the fingers with the thumbs up. In before you pick up the knees off the floor and, and go into the position that looks like a down dog, but you're on your forearms, before you go there, make sure the elbows are in a kind of narrow stance. So if they're out to the side too much, that will feel really not great on your shoulders. And it's also not a great base. You need a great strong base. So the elbows are going to be in more. Press into the pinky side of the, the ulnar side of the forearms and lift your knees off the floor. More core in the front body, in the um, anterior abdominal wall is gonna help as well. Bend your knees as needed to free up some of the fascia that might be pulling you and pulling on the shoulders. So those are things I would say to, you know, just double check and take inventory of, but keep at it. It's such a great pose. Breathe and and feel um, like, can you stay a few more breaths each time that you do it. Okay, so next question. Christy Bella, tips for faking it on a bad day as a yoga teacher, i.e. parking your shit at the door and being present with your students. Well, that's a great question, Christy. And I think um, a lot of people will have different strategies for that. And some don't do it as well as others. For me, I can only speak from my experience and from my experience of owning a studio and having teachers there. And so I, I think I model it and I set the bar for it. And I also don't really tolerate, I don't, I don't want to say I don't tolerate it, but I speak 
when I'm talking in my teacher training, I'm really like, this is not your time. (laughs) This is not the time to unload your stuff. I'm really, really, really uh, clear about that. I don't think that it's, and it actually will benefit you as a teacher if you have that, if you have that point of view, because you'll get out of the, I don't want to say it's indulgence, but maybe it's a little bit of indulgence of your own shit, right? You get out of that and you get into the role of, of service and you can be of service and be paid for it. Those are not mutually exclusive. So I, when I come to teach, it is about my students fully. It is about my students. And so I would liken it to like, if you walk in with your shit, it's almost like having your phone on, not, you know, it's not on um, airplane mode or do not disturb. And you might get called and you'd, you pick up a call and you talk. I mean, no, you wouldn't do that, right? You wouldn't do that if you were teaching. So it's, I think you just have really, it, it's, I think you have clear parameters. And I would say like, say, let's just think of this as, as a parent. So if you're not a yoga teacher, this could be the same, like what I teach my kids when they're playing sports for something is like you walk on the field and you can take on a different persona. In other words, you can be aggressive in a way that is sportsmanlike, but that you might not be comfortable with in the same way in your regular day, regular day life. So it's, um, you can, you can take that kind of professionalism, so to speak, into whatever practice it is, whether it's literally practicing a, as you know, practicing like my kids are doing on the field, or uh, whether it's me as a teacher uh, practicing, like really taking that role of guidance fully. So I would say that's the best advice I can give. And I have over the 20, almost five years of teaching, had a lot of days where my personal stuff could have really impacted my teaching. And I just did not bring it in because it's not my place to bring in my stuff. If people are coming, if they're ta- I look at it this way, if they're coming and they're taking the time and they're paying for a service, I'm going to show up 100% for them. And the more you do that, the easier it is to let some of that shit go. It really is. And it's so it's going to serve you in the long run. So I hope that helps you. Let me know if it does. Next question. Oh, this is another teaching question. Teaching, making money as a teacher and not teaching for free. This is by Hungry Monkey. Well, yes, I. it's a very fine line because there's so, so many opportunities to teach, quote, for free that will actually benefit you as a new teacher. So when you're coming out as a new teacher and you kind of need to test market, like you need to, you need to practice. And you can do that in, in a couple of different ways. You can you can do it for not free, you know, charge a small amount. You can do it in the form of like a community class, which is what we have at our studio. And the teachers teach for free. Um, the studio doesn't make money either. All the money goes toward a charity. So it's a donation class. The people coming can donate whatever they want and it's going towards that. And it's really giving the teacher, an opportunity to practice teaching. And if you really broke it down, you could be like, well, they're actually getting the rent space for free and they're getting the crowd coming that might not otherwise come. And so it's giving them an opportunity. So it's it's kind of not quite, it is free for sure, but I think it's, I can't imagine not doing that. 
and just launching somebody right into a paid service where if you're not feeling totally comfortable. And I haven't met anybody who doesn't love that format. They, they really prefer it because then when you go, because then it sets you up for success. And somebody could come on here and have the absolute uh, opposite opinion. They could be like, no, that's taking advantage of the teachers, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I think it would be taking advantage of them if I was making money off of the teachers. That would be taking advantage. What, what I'm trying to do is set them up for success. So when they actually start teaching, paying customers, they are, are, they're ahead of the ball. They're already feeling confident. They're not gaining the confidence uh, to teach as they're teaching. Now, you're going to continue to gain. That doesn't mean you're super confident, but you at least are feeling comfortable. So that would be one thing is do, um, you can, but that's as a new teacher. Now, if you've been teaching for a while and you're asked to teach for free, I would say, well, under what circumstance? I do teach for free still, and I've been teaching 20 some years, but it's always for service reasons. Or if it's going, I shouldn't say always, most always for service. Or if it's going to benefit my business long-term. So say somebody wants to, some athletic team wants to work with me, I will give them a dose of what it's like. And, but I don't do that too often. I still believe that there should be some exchange of money. So now that's that argument for no money. Here's the big argument for getting money is that having an exchange means the expectation is there. If you have an exchange of money, you are setting the bar higher for yourself and that person as as well. And so, but you have to get really comfortable with asking for money. It is one of those things that I have learned over years and it was something so uncomfortable for me. Like I would literally sometimes go and teach a private class, you know, at somebody's house and inadvertently they had forgotten to get the money out. And I I walked out, I didn't even ask for the money. And I got in my car and I was like, I just didn't get paid for that. But, and they might remember that usually they would remember and call or something, but I was so uncomfortable asking for it. And you just have to get over that. You just have to like vomit a little bit and just go and ask for the money, right? You need to say, I'd like to get this amount. And somebody can come back and say, hey, I can't pay you that amount if you know somebody's contacted you. But I would say, get comfortable. Here are the bullet points. Know when it's okay to teach a free class versus not. So okay would be early on, you're getting comfortable and then you're getting an opportunity and it's maybe of service or something for it that's going to help you long-term in your business. Those are some um, ways that I would say it's okay. And early on, I definitely taught a lot of free classes. I don't regret any of them. But know when you, like you don't want to do that too much because as when a service is offered and there's money exchange, there is also an expectation and a respect, right? Somebody's going to respect you more if you say, this is what I charge. Come up with what you believe is right, but also be willing to adjust a little bit. So I have a much higher rate than I used to, and I have a lot of credentials to support that. But if I have people that say, gosh, you know, I really have, I really have, I'm a student, I have student loans, I don't have a lot of money, I would love to work with you because my shoulder's bothering me. I'll say, okay, we'll work something out. So I think it's just have a good moral code with money, but also be very uh, get as comfortable as possible talking about money. That's because it's never going to be fully comfortable. You're never going to be fully comfortable talking about it. I hope that was helpful, my dear. Let me know if you have um, you know, any questions. Okay, so let's talk about some more movement stuff. So many good questions here. I'm pulling this one out from Kat- Katina AK. 
how did these movements transfers to running? Meaning she's, I think she's meaning like rib cage, scapula, et cetera. So I think she's probably talking about the movements in my classes, but I will just assume that's what she's talking about or movements on the mat in general. Well, running is a, we're pretty hardwired to know how to run, know how to walk. Running is a ballistic form of walking. We're just putting more pep to the step and then pushing ourselves forward. So it's almost like this controlled falling, it's called in the PT world sometimes. And so we know that's a movement that that we we know how to do and it involves a repetitive movement in, in a, along a sagittal plane. And some people don't use their arms much, but it, it involves the whole body to some degree. So if we just think about that right there, any kind of movement that involves the whole body is going to help running because in some way you're hitting all the parts of the body that running does kind of hit. Even if it's a small movement, um, even if you're like a little bit of thoracic rotation and running, you still need to be able to have that thoracic rotation there because if you don't have it there, it will affect your running because something else will move. The, The way movement the, the big thing to think about when you're thinking about movement is movement will occur. You, you can execute a movement, even if it's not the preferred method, even if it's not optimal, but your body will figure out how to move to imitate that movement by moving somewhere else. Like if something is not moving in the thoracic uh, rib cage in the thrust in that rotation, your body will figure out how to do it. So it might excessively move your arms or you might move at the pelvis and try and get that rotation in the lumbar spine. So running is, your running will be better and more efficient when you have better core activation, when you have range of motion in your hips, when you have range of motion in your uh, spinal column in the ways that you need it, when you have good shoulder mobility and, and great posture from the head all the way down. And when you have movement in all those joints that are required in running, ankles, knees, and hips. So when you, she asked about the ribcage and scapula, I mean, the scapula is part of the shoulder complex. The ribcage sits on, I mean, the scapula sits on the ribcage and that's all involved in running. So when you're running, and I see runners and watching their form is always interesting, but so many runners round their shoulders kind of like they do if you were sitting at a desk. And so that brings, when you round your shoulders forward, you tighten your chest wall, you impact your breathing, you impact your neck. Uh, you That's all going to have a huge impact on the efficiency and the turnover of your legs. So what you want to create is a real balance throughout your body in running So that the exchange of energy from ground through the body and back down to the ground is clear. It's a clear path up and down the chain. And then you're exchanging that that foot strike to the floor over and over again with efficiency, not losing energy along the way. So the movement in yoga, in my particular yoga, is functional and it actually, it doesn't always simulate running, but it will absolutely help your running because when you run and do everything in one direction, you will close off and get uh, kind of molded in that position from, from like a fascial standpoint. And then you will start limiting some of the movement patterns, but you'll still figure out how to run, right? You'll still figure it out. 
and you want some tautness for sure. You don't want to be loose. The last thing you can do is run with a ton of lax- laxity. But when you move in a variety of ways on the yoga mat, that movement in like, say, like side lunges that we do is keeping the mobility of the hip in place and optimal. And that will that will impact your running tremendously because if you're running and you've you've decreased your hip mobility, you will it will you'll feel it somewhere else. And it might be in the lumbar spine, it might be in the knees. But you want to keep that hip mobility really great for running. But you're going to need to move in a variety of ways because you're already moving sagittally, meaning flexion and some extension. So you need to move in some other ways as well. I hope that answered your question. We have one final question of all these great questions that I have gotten, um, and I'm just picking it. I'm look, it's literally like I'm doing, and I landed on it. Okay, the final question here: arthritis. How to deal with a diagnosis that says you'll never regain full movement? This is from Mollis Ross. Well, I don't know where the arthritis is that is um, telling you that. It could be in your ankles, your wrist slash fingers, or your knees potentially, um, maybe your hips, but and it could be your spine. There's there's different places for arthritis. Those are kind of like the big, big numbers. So I don't know where you have it. Like say you had cervical spine arthritis, and that's limiting your range of motion because you've now gotten some bone spurs. That that happens a lot with arthritis in the cervical spine then you're going to have to focus more on just maintaining your most optimal alignment and and with some loss of range of motion. So it really depends about where that the arthritis is. Here's how I'm going to answer this the best uh, without knowing what you're talking about exactly. But that is, do not, do not become your diagnosis. Diagnoses are there for the medical professionals like myself to have a common language with which to discuss a state of being. Really, that's what it is. Okay. So you have a labral tear. Okay. You have a labral tear. You got an MRI. It confirms the labral tear. Well, that's going to give us an idea of what your diagnosis is. And things like that are kind of more clear cut. You have a labral tear and we're going to do this with that. You get a diagnosis of like arthritis, for instance. Oh, it's bone on bone. You're never going to be able to move in all the ways you want to because that bone on bone means that you can't have a fluid amount of movement like you would if there was cartilage there because cartilage makes the gliding of the bone on bone really nice, much uh, nicer and smoother. However, don't be stuck in the diagnosis of it. Think about what this is kind of a state of being, um, but it's not a, 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 like a prison sentence. It There are lots of ways to improve your movement and improve your mobility and improve your strength and stability and overall movement patterns, even with some of these kind of quote unquote diagnostic codes. So the first thing I would say is work with someone who's going to look at you in your entire body and and ask you what your goals are. So that's what I would do. I'd say, what are your goals? You have this diagnosis. I'd like to know what, you know, kind of created this state of being because the reason uh, we get arthritis is, is a degenerative 
wear and tear of the cartilage. And that's that's the mechanics that come into play. So the first thing I would say is let's look at your mechanics and improve them so that you aren't making the situation worse. Then let's look at what are your goals, okay? So some things you might not be able to do to the fullest like you did before. I don't know, but don't write it off. Improve your core strength, improve your posture, move in the big synovial joints like the hip and shoulders, which are less likely to have that kind of arthritis that you're talking about that would be restricting movement, and get a lot of your movement from there, but really work on your core stability. Limit the movement that feels um, not good in that joint and figure out how to move other joints more. But I would say really work with someone that knows a lot about the body and is not going to just filter it down or distill it down to this body part that has arthritis because it's much bigger picture than that. What caused the arthritis? How is that? How can we change that movement, retrain it so that you're moving better and putting less stress on that joint. I hope that helps you, but just don't don't worry about the diagnosis. Look, think of it as like one piece of the puzzle, but it's not the answer. Um, the answer is to, to really look much deeper into the cause and then see what you can do about that. I hope that helps you. Send some Q&As my way. I'm going to be doing this, doing this every Wednesday. You can ask me about anything. Really, there's nothing that you can't ask me. <laughs> All right. Love from me to you. Pulling for you every day. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.